All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash TFCC because we are joined by Dr. Candace Tunis at the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update. We are live, so if you hear lots of background noise, that's because we are close to where they're setting up the food and that is what's going to be happening next. So doing this interview is going to be Dr. Lacey Harrison out of the University of Houston Masters of Athletic Training Program. And so I know, Dr. Harrison, you have a special connection with the University of Tennessee, but I want to let you know that the UT is doing really well in baseball and softball. Um, so the UT is doing really well, but I think that's actually your husband's connection, right? Yes, that is my husband's connection. And he brings that up all the time that the University of Tennessee was a university before Texas was a state. But I stay out of that argument because yeah. I have a friend that played softball at Texas. So I play <laughs> both sides. All right, so Dr. Candice Tunis, welcome back to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. And Dr. Harrison, you got it. All right, well, thank you for joining us. I am so excited to talk to you because I actually teach the orthopedic courses for our program. Excellent. And if you saw a bunch of students sitting in the front, we have about five tables of students in the front. Wonderful, So they were kind of your center, yeah. So I just wanted to ask you a few questions. I have a few notes here. And one thing I thought was really interesting is you compared wrist injuries to low back pain. (laughs) So I initially jotted that down because I also teach our head, neck, and spine class. And we talk a lot about um, just what the patient is going through. So do you find a lot of um, kind of long-term effects from people who don't get their wrist injuries treated right away, similar to kind of that struggle that we see with low back pain? I think to some extent, yes. I think the the, the part of the reason why I, I like that comparison is that, you know, uh, low back pain has so many different potential causes to it, whether it's muscular or discogenic or nerve related and whatnot. And and ulnar wrist pain is kind of similar. So I think part of the struggle that a lot of back pain patients have is just figuring out really what the problem is. And so in that way, I think ulnar wrist pain is quite similar. It often takes me sometimes a couple of times of seeing these patients to figure out because, you know, on one day I might get one sense on the exam and then I'll try something and then uh, they'll follow up. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm going to change directions. And I think that's one point to make is that, you know, you don't always have to have all of the answers in the first time that you meet someone or examine someone. There is something to be gained by, you know, forming your differential it's why I like to structure the talk in the way that I did so that you have an idea about here are the potential causes. See if you can't kind of narrow it down. You may not be able to pick one. I mean, I'm often sort of trying to decide between ECU, TFCC, or, you know, an older patient, piezo you know, trying to kind of figure that out. And I don't always have the complete answer that first time. And I think it's okay to admit that and just say, look, this is what I think it is. It's either this or this. We can try a diagnostic injection or maybe some imaging and kind of work our way through there. So I think that's, that's, so I think they do kind of struggle a lot at the front end of just trying to figure out what the problem is. Yeah, for sure. And I had a question also about just what, what should our athletic trainers be looking for? Like, what are the red flags? Because we're going to have a lot of the same issues. We don't have direct access to imaging, obviously. Um, so what are the red flags that you're looking for that we should be referring? Um, and is there a time frame? Should we be treating conservatively for so long? And then if we see these red flags, we should be referring? That's a great question. I think that your ulnar wrist pain is fairly forgiving in the sense that even complete TFCC tears, I just fixed one on Friday, she'd had it for months. And so it is still fixable late. So these do often benefit from a a pretty lengthy trial of non-operative treatment. It's a little bit different than like 
the finger injury, which could be a fracture or could be a sprain. You don't know. Those really need to be imaged and evaluated quickly. The ulnar wrist is a little bit more forgiving. I think that uh, the times where I really encourage people to be referred with in a semi-timely manner is when you think the DREJ is unstable. I think in a sense of instability, a difference in sides between the, particularly the DREJ is going to be the most common sort of stability problem when as it relates to ulnar wrist pain. So that's, that's, I think the one that should push kind of more urgent referral, but even those, you still have some wiggle room. And on the ulnar side, are there common injuries that we see in athletics versus what we may see in more of an adult population? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the TFCC can affect anybody in, in different ways. So it can wear out over time, just like a meniscus can. You can get a traumatic knee meniscus injury in a young athlete associated with an ACL, and you can get a degenerative meniscus tear in an older person just getting up funny off the floor. So the TFCC kind of does affect a very wide range, but in kind of different ways, um, whether it's degenerative or really a true traumatic kind of tear. Um, you know, hook of handmate things, that, that, those tend to be athletes. I'm not going to, you know, I've seen them most commonly in like teens and 20s just based on, you know, the sports that they're playing. Um, ECU, I've seen also, you know, both in older populations um, and in, in and in young folks. So they're really, it honestly can affect anybody. So it's not something that you're immune to, you know, um, when you're young and it's not something that you just grow out of. That makes sense. And you talked a little bit about the recovery process, mm -hmm. but is it different for our pediatric patients versus our adult patients? And also, is there a difference between return to sport and just return to activities of daily living? Yeah. So, you know, if we're, we'll stay specific on the TFCC in, for this question. So um, it really depends on what happens in surgery and what else I see. Um, so a lot of times in older patients, you're starting to see some wear in the joint. And once that, and, and this often goes along with, and I didn't talk about this too much, but ulnar positivity. So everybody's a little bit different as far as the relative length of the radius and the ulna. Some people, they're perfectly level. And in some people, uh, the ulna's a bit longer than the than the radius. And in those people, it, it sort of predisposes to sort of an ulnocarpal impaction problem where you're kind of wearing out and you'll get degenerative uh, TFCC tears. Those are treated differently in that um, I have to unload the ulnar aspect of the wrist. Doing a TFCC repair in someone like that's not going to be as helpful. So I'm actually shortening the ulna and so doing an osteotomy um, versus, you know, younger folks that have a traumatic tear and being repaired, that that's going to rehab a bit differently. So, re, you know, repairs rehab differently than uh, whether you're younger or older um, than like cleaning up or, you know, you know doing a debridement um, and potentially shortening the ulna. Um, but it, for a TFCC repair, I will protect them for about six weeks, usually in a therapy made splint that controls rotation and then gradually kind of work on their motion and then strength from there. Is there a chance of re-injury, especially with our pediatric population? Yes, there definitely is. You can absolutely re-tear. And again, um, and I've, uh, I've, I've, I've seen it, you know, and then, um, and then it's hard because, you know, let's say they have a central TFCC tear. So just a hole in the middle of the ligament. Um, 
you know, I can't repair that. So I just go in and I kind of clean it up. Same, similarly, how someone can re-tear a meniscus, you know, you can absolutely re-tear a TFCC. And it's hard because the MRI is not going to really help you sometimes because you already had a hole and then you clean it up. It's still a hole. You MRI it again, still a hole in the TFCC. So, uh, so it, it, it can be tricky. Those are the ones you really have to crucially look at the relative length of the ulna. Are they ulnar positive? Is the ulna long? Because that, if, if they've had a failed or a TFCC surgery and then they have another injury to their TFCC, you really have to think twice about going back in and trying to just address the TFCC. You probably need to unload the pressure on that side of the joint. And is there anything that we can do to help the patient with that? Especially you talked about baseball players. Is there bracing, strengthening, working on range of motion, anything to help prevent that re-injury? So I think there are a couple of things that, that can be done. I think there are, you know, wrist stabilization exercises are good. You know, some of these kids are kind of hypermobile, you know, and so um, strengthening what you can, pronator strengthening, the the dynamic stabilizers of the wrist, wrist flexion, you know, uh, you absolutely can help work on the ECU because it is a contributor to stability around uh, around the owner aspect of the joint. Um, you know, the other thing that's that's worth mentioning um, is, you know, some of the owner positivity stuff we really don't have any control of. That's just how they grow, right? Except for the gymnastic weight-bearing kind of uh, those kids, because those kids are potentially, with all the weight-bearing and loading that they do on their wrist, are at risk for growth arrest of their distal radius. So if the distal radius quits growing and their ulna keeps growing, then it, it's a setup for ulna carpal problems later. So um, it's hard because you're not necessarily going to know that unless they're complaining of something. And, and, and my experience with the gymnastics population is that they're not going to tell you generally, um, you know, if they're having problems. But I think it's worth being pretty sensitive in those kids of, are they complaining if they're complaining of wrist pain um you know to not just ignore it because sometimes especially when they're in their maximum phase of growth you know when they're going through that big growth spurt you know that's a time to sort of you know really look out for that those types of problems so do you think we should be preventing and or to prevent injury should be limiting any type of movement like with baseball players and their elbows and their shoulders should we try to do that with gymnastics I think it's really hard I think that's yeah. a group that's really hard to limit um, you know just because to be competitive um, and to be successful in a high level gymnast is such a requirement on um, you know on their um, level of performance they're practicing three four hours a day usually you know um, so I think it's I think it is hard and I think that the mindset of those kids is is to ignore 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 I think they usually just live with some amount of pain all the time the problem is that then sometimes it catches up with them later I think it's just a matter of knowing the kid you know and just knowing when if they're starting to sort of pull back on stuff that they didn't used to I think it's worth just at least just having a conversation with them, you know. Right. Maybe patient education would probably yeah. be our best bet, mm -hmm. letting them know if this pain happens, kind of the consequences. Um, along those lines with imaging, if they happen to get imaging, um, obviously we as athletic trainers would be getting those notes back. Is there any kind of tips and tricks you have for using patient education to show the patient that imaging, anything the athletic trainer can use to, to kind of point out and help them decipher that? I think that um, – 
you know, as it relates potentially to like being owner positive, you know, I mean, those, you know, if they are, um, are they growing? Are they not growing? Are they showing signs of, you know, growth problems in the, in the end of the radius, which could set them up for the owner being long later? I mean, that, that's a, that's a good thing to refer, first of all, you know, to kind of, to kind of counsel them, um, you know, just, but I, th- I think it's, it's tough as a trainer to try to, um, you know, uh, help them kind of, you know, look, look through those x-rays and sort of figure out what to do. Cause you know, not everything on an x-ray, you have to always kind of bring it to back to what, what is the problem at hand? Cause you know, that's, I, that's my experience with the MRI is that, you know, MRI will show you a whole lot of stuff. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's the cause of the problem. Right. I understand. Um, the last little bit I want to talk about since I mentioned that I'm an educator is, you know, what I feel like our students kind of sometimes miss out on that interprofessional collaboration, right? So I just want to know what you think is important that we're teaching our students or what the students can take away. What should they be looking for? Is there something that you think is lacking in athletic training education that we could focus on? Um, Communication techniques, anything like that, patient education, what do you suggest? I think that, um, I think it's really great to develop personal relationships with a few kind of key people around you. So, you know, I know, I mean, I'd happen to treat a lot of the HBU players. And so, um, I'm not their team physician, you know, but I happen to treat them. So I know personally the trainers, the trainers have my cell phone so they can text me if they have a question. I think that, um, you know, with in the realm of hand, and I think it's a little bit better in physical therapy, you know, kind of partnering between physical therapists and athletic trainers. I think there could be better communication and education between the athletic trainers and the hand therapists. You know, I think that that would be quite helpful so that they could, you know, supplement rather than feeling like the trainers are on an island and just dealing with them when they're done with therapy, um, you know, and then the therapist just does their things and then the trainers do their thing. I mean, it, and then, you know, the surgeon, I'm just here once, right? I fix the problem and then I send them to therapy and then the trainer sort of is, is, is kind of, I think that if we can all three parts, trainers, therapists, surgeons can kind of develop plans together, I think that's what benefits the patients the best because it's often more convenient, much easier for the trainers to work with the kids than always having to schlep to therapy or something like that. But yet you don't want the therapist to be telling them one thing and the trainer to be telling them another and going against what, you know, you know, what's being recommended. So I think that that's one area that I think would be helpful to be a little bit more collaborative on. Yeah, and I think that's kind of an issue with a lot of different injuries as well. So that's something that we're really trying to focus on. Um, It's just like you mentioned, sometimes athletic trainers are just out on their own island somewhere and they're trying to figure out what's going on. So I really appreciate all your input. Um, This has been great, really. And uh, I know the students are going to appreciate it as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Dr. Tuna, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to connect for whatever reason, how, what's the best way to do that? So, uh, well, I see patients in Sugarland. Um, I'm with UT, so, uh, you know, 713-486-7080 is the main Sugarland, is, is my office's phone number. And um, uh, I'm, I'm always happy to, um, you know, to, to, to see folks if you're concerned or anything like that. And um, I, I really appreciate it. All right, so maybe somebody like Dr. Harrison, because I have a lot of 
college athletic trainers that listen to this. So maybe they want to have you as a guest speaker for yeah. one of their classes. How would they best get hold of you? Oh, probably my email, which is a mouthful from the university. So I hope you're all ready to write it down <laughs> if you want it. But uh, but it's basically uh, Candice. So my first name, C-A-N-D-I-C-E dot B as in boy dot Tunis. T-E-U-N-I-S, Washco, W-A-S-H-K-O, at uth.tmc.edu. And I'm happy to, you can email me directly if you want to, um, you know, if you have a patient that you need to get in, or if you, uh, you know, I also have had students come shadow me um, in clinics sometimes, you know, or I'm happy to come talk or give a small group, ex- you know, exam lesson or something like that. I'm happy to do it. So it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Dr. Tunis. I know that people love hearing from you, and I know you have a breakout session coming up, so we're going to get you off so you can rest your voice and have get ready for your tons and tons of questions. Dr. Lacey Harrison, somebody wants to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, they can email me. So it's lharris5 at central.uh.edu. I'm also on Twitter at, at Lacey J, and my first name's spelt weird, so it's L-A-Y-C-I and then the letter J. All right, so I'm Jeremy Jackson. Again, this is Sports Medicine Broadcast dot com slash tfcc and i'll put there in the show notes the emails uh, i'll probably have to listen to it like seven times to get them I know, correctly the worst. so much better <laughs> oh i could put in there that you can also follow me on instagram at 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 hand surgeon candace so. at hand surgeon oh that's so much easier that's so much better oh so good grief for sure okay. so follow at hand surgeon candace and then you can reach out to her and then maybe she can send your email or whatever it is that way so if you want to get a hold of lacy or candace Reach out to them, however they there, and I'll, I'll again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash tfcc. So for Jeremy's Sports Medicine Broadcast live at the Memorial Herman Sports Medicine Update, that is a wrap.